0: Welcome to BizTech's technology show, the show where we feature tech companies across Asia talking about their solutions and how they make a difference in the tech landscape. Today, we feature ShipIt, an e-commerce fulfillment platform. ShipIt was founded in Australia in 2014, launched in 2015, and began by working with a handful of fashion and homeware boutiques in Sydney. However, it now powers delivery for hundreds of retailers across Australia and sending thousands of deliveries every single month. Now, since its official launch in Singapore in July 2020, the company has been scaling up in order to capitalize on Southeast Asia's projected 172 billion e-commerce industry. Now to tell us more about Shipit is Mark Lancaster. He's the Southeast Asian business development lead at Shipit. Now, welcome to the show, Mark.
1: Brian, great to be here. Great to meet you as well.
0: Now, Mark, could you start by giving us an overview of Shipit and the history of the company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, we started six years ago in Australia, and our co-founders, Will and Rob, saw a great opportunity to kind of tackled the fulfillment and last mile delivery challenges that were they were tired of missing deliveries getting carded in their letter boxes and having to kind of chase after parcels and as online was growing there was a real need to kind of help e-commerce help retail to kind of power that that piece improve that last mile experience you know our mission at the company is really to revolutionize how you send anything anywhere to anybody and that's obviously a very ambitious you know statement but it will take time but it's a really kind of important area you know people often forget that actually whilst delivery is maybe not a sexy part of e-commerce it's fundamentally important uh, to the success of of retail e-commerce online now Mark you have a very
0: interesting background because you've been involved in e-commerce since the mid-2000s tell us about your your background in e-commerce and and that was an exciting time in Australia in terms of e-commerce
1: yeah, absolutely. Like, not many people know this, but I obviously was born. Well, I was born in the UK, and actually wrote my dissertation at university on the impact of the internet on the antiques world. And this was back in 2000. So you can imagine, in those days, selling jewelry or furniture online was kind of you know very far from what people believed was possible. And um, but then I obviously then moved to Australia and. I kind of, it's an interesting journey because I probably look at it from different angles. I have owned my own online wine business. I have also worked for eBay in Australia for almost four years. And I've worked, you know, for global companies like Travelport in the travel space from the online perspective. And it's been really interesting for me. It's all about passion. You know, I wake up every day and I'm learning something new every day. The markets are changing all the time. And it's an interesting time because really I've seen so much change in the last 20 years. And I think. You know, when I look at Australia, you know, when I joined eBay um, quite a long time ago now, you know, it was very much that, still that kind of marketplace, but just trading secondhand items. And I was part of a team that helped kind of bring on retail to change the marketplace perception. You can sell new items and kind of, you know, in fashion, in electronics, in beauty, all of those things. And I think what's sort of interesting with the geography of Australia, like it was challenging back then because, you know, we weren't that mature in the market, you know, but we were early adopters. But if you can imagine sort of moving large items across the geographics of, of Australia, incredibly challenging. And and often I remember in eBay, sellers would kind of list items and then ironically they would offer free shipping, but somebody would buy it in the middle of the app, you know, the middle of Northern Territory it was <laughs> an absolute nightmare to, to ship. That. It, would, it would obviously be very costly. So there'd be no margin left for that retailer. And I think, you know, Fast forward all those years, we've come so far in just not only customer expectation, but also more tools available for merchants to to kind of tackle those pieces around the delivery side of things, but also kind of, you know, the capacities needed to to grow within the network from a delivery perspective, you know, more carriers, more services, more demands. You know, I mean, I think the Iconic is a very interesting business in Australia that kind of changed that whole customer piece. And people talk about the Iconic a lot because they were the first ones to do that kind of two-hour delivery within Sydney in metropolitan areas, but now you've got kind of on-demand deliveries. You've got the likes of of Yellow and 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 Ubers, all kind of you know changing that. And then here in Asia, you've got Grab and, and other players kind of changing that landscape again. So it's um you know there's lots going on. The payment space has been revolutionized as well. Um you know and I think it's it, there's still so much happening though, and I think it's not you can't just sit on your laurels and think it's done done and dusted. You know, it's always changing. And I think that's, as I said before, is the the thing that keeps it really exciting. So.
0: Now, could you then tell us, uh, walk us through really what Shipit does?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're really there to obviously improve the the ability around um, logistics and last mile delivery. So really enabling companies to, we're a SaaS business, enabling companies to transform and improve their workflow efficiency. So everything from receiving that order to obviously processing that order within their warehouse or through their 3PL, and then right through to kind of booking that carrier and then that end-to-end customer experience from the kind of tracking notification. And we integrate with a number of different carriers have so about 35 carriers across our, our network, um, majority are in Australia, and really giving customers that ability to access those carriers very easily and our system has algorithms built in to basically determine what is the best carrier based on the business rules. So for example, like, is, it, is cost more important to me? So obviously be able to deliver for the, the lowest price or is the ETA and the faster delivery more important? So really kind of, you know, and be able to really improve that end, that end experience for the customer. And what we found is like a lot of retailers um, have, have looked at different options. So obviously you can integrate with one carrier, but you can imagine now with obviously e-commerce growing so fast, there's capacity constraints on the, on the network. So you're obviously trying to mitigate risk. So if you've got access to multiple carriers, you're, there's less risk to your business. So it kind of enables that. And really, we also, I think a fundamental thing is we help customers with um, you know, the, the visibility and the expectations of where their parcel is. And that's really, really important as well. Now, who do you partner with in Asia
0: in order to make order fulfillment happen? Now, you are currently in Singapore and Malaysia only, correct?
1: That's great. Yeah, so we launched here back in, as you mentioned, back in June last year. Um, what, what actually brought us to this market was we did a, a, a deal with Cotton On and Sephora, and that gave us the we saw the opportunity to kind of move into this region. So we moved in. We obviously started to build more. We had to build more integrations with various carriers. Um, and so that included, obviously, SingPost, um, including Aramax, Ninjavan. And then more recently, we've also integrated with Janio, Q Express goes live this, this month, and also um, CJ Century from Malaysia. And we have integrations with DHL and FedEx as well. So, I mean, obviously, that's a critical part of the success of our model. You know, the more we integrate, the more carriers we have, the more services we can offer, the more interest there is from various merchants here in the region to obviously utilize our services.
0: So, you you mentioned Sephora and Decathlon. And they are they represent probably large customers on your side, but you've also got small customers because your plans start as little as 25 Singapore dollars. I think you do 250 yeah, uh, shipments right. or something like that. Tell us about your customer base and what it looks like now in Asia.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because actually when I was doing some analysis a couple of weeks ago, we've actually got in our top in some of our top merchants using our platform as coffee companies. So the likes of Coleman Coffee Roasters, Calpresso Coffee, um, you know, number of com- you know, home ground coffee. And I think it's interesting because obviously, Singapore, like Australia, big fans of, of coffee, like, love their fresh coffee. And the yeah. freshness is the really important part of this because obviously there's an expectation that you can get that product as quickly to the customers as, as possible. So Commonland Coffee Roasters, for example, have a very high benchmark of, of customer satisfaction. And we help them by giving them access to multiple carriers different services to get that, that coffee to the to the end customer. Um, so but you're right, it is a broad range. So it's everything from your startups and um, we've been fo- focused on fashion, beauty and cosmetics, but right up to obviously those larger merchants um, you know in, in the in the network. And we're talking to kind of I think as you get to that larger end, you know, we're talking to some large fashion merchants that that have operations all over Asia, that starts to open up more complexity because you've got They've got operations in multiple markets. They've got warehousing in multiple markets, and they're doing combination of cross border. They're bulk shipping items into different markets, so it becomes more challenging on the other end. So our our business is actually something for everybody, but we are quite focused on that larger end of the market, um just because there's opportunity there, and not many people, uh, you know, are servicing that end of the market.
0: And and who do you see as your competitors? Because basically you have. Uh, you know, everything from ship station to ship, you know, to even Rakuten that's in this business. So how do you compete in this market in Asia?
1: Yeah, look, I think we see our biggest competitor right now is is like Easy Ship. You know, they have a lot of integrations. They have us, you know, obviously a big range of the customer base, but there's also Easy Parcel, but they're more focused, I would say, on Malaysia, but also more focused on the lower end of the markets. You know, they're kind of the growing kind of hobbyist um, scale. Um, but there are international players that are starting to kind of look at this in Southeast Asia in, in, in a bigger capacity. Um, I mean, I think you know sales by 2024 in Asia will be like 65% of the global market. So we know there's huge growth in this market and a lot of people looking at this market, but also it's a challenging market. You know, 11, 11 countries in Southeast Asia and very different socially, very different economically difficult politically but you know obviously a very young population a growing population they're quite tech savvy and also um you know have good mo- mobile access to mobile and things so with a younger population they're kind of um more inclined to kind of obviously buy more so there's obviously growth opportunities in, in those in those areas and you know mark what was interesting is i noticed that your plans
0: even accept cash payment um i think Uh, I would I'd be hazarding a guess that basically it's specifically designed to cater for less developed markets in the region, especially uh, geographically isolated areas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's you're spot on. It's interesting because you know cash and delivery is not relevant in Australia. In fact, actually, it's moving to an economy that's really cashless. And you say the same about Singapore. But we do have a couple of merchants actually offering that are used to offering cash and delivery, but it's very much the right targeted to those other markets, you know, Indonesia, 264 million people and, you know, 17,000 islands and obviously a very different geographic and, and more cash, um, cash is king sort of scenario. Um, so it's important to do that. Um, but I mean, of course, you know, there is the rise in digital wallets and I think it's still to be determined, like what's going to happen in the future. I think that's a really interesting part is, will you still see cash as king in these markets or will you steam? More and more of these digital payment wallets, you know, taking up more and more market share and then cash starting to disappear in more more markets in the future. And if it does happen, it's going to take a bit of time for sure.
0: You know, Mark, after operating in Australia only for so many years, you've come to Asia, been here for about a year. Um, Southeast Asia is obviously much more complicated as we've just been uh, talking about. But people don't realize Australia is the 10th largest market for e-commerce in the world 27 billion revenues in 2020 uh, and it's even a bigger market than Indonesia which more than about 10 times the population what do you think were the lessons that you learned in this last 12 months that perhaps you've applied from learnings in
1: Australia before it's a really good question actually um you know I think. You know, you're spot on I mean, in Australia, 25 million people, but a huge economy, very mature in terms of online capabilities. And whereas Southeast Asia, 655 million people. But I think big learnings is it's a much more price-sensitive market um, here in the region. I think also there's obviously more challenges around actually the products. There's, well, the difference, big difference I know is that uh, domination of, of the marketplaces. So, for example, in in Australia, if you look back a few years ago, you've always had eBay there for quite some time. Amazon only moved, in, moved into the Australian market about I think it was about four, four or five years ago now. But you've had here in Asia, huge domination by the Lazada, the shoppies of this world, the Tokopedia in Indonesia, which recently merged with, with Gojek. So I think that's what's quite interesting here. You don't have as many kind of homegrown kind of direct consumer brands. You have a lot of domination with the marketplaces and obviously, businesses are still trying to grapple with the fact of building capabilities and, and momentum with their own e- e-commerce site versus using marketplaces. So there's a big learning, I think, between Australia and 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 obviously um, uh, Asia in terms of that capacity from a delivery point of view. Obviously, it's thirty minutes to drive from coast to coast here in Singapore, and yeah. you've got you know much lower freight cost. You know, the average freight cost is kind of. Th- $3.40 here in, in Singapore for kind of items around the two or three kilometer in, in Australia, that geography is very different, you know? So I think, you know, you've got higher margins on the delivery cost, So you can play around with um, the delivery um, opportunities in terms of offering free and, you know, different services and charging different levels. You know, if you, if I was a consumer, I'd happily to pay a premium for a, for a premium service, perhaps next day or same day delivery service and those options. I don't see those option, options much here, here in Asia. It's very much a free uh, delivery service or it's if you pay spend over X amount in your checkout or it's a flat rate delivery. So I think there's kind of... An element. Isn't
0: that partly also the fact that because of, there's this hyper competition right now, delivery is seen as a way to basically get market share?
1: Yeah, I think it, it absolutely is. I mean, I think you're spot on. It's interesting because... So you're seeing also sort of development by some of the key courier companies here. So I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago about the 14 unicorns in Southeast Asia. And one of them, alongside obviously the grabs and, and the travel locus as well, there was also JT Express in, in that. And j and Express have made a big, big play in the market recently to obviously win more market share, drive down the price, you know, invest heavily in their technology and their capabilities from a... Um, obviously, investing in planes, investing in more transport options, and I think what's interesting is it's obviously disrupting the market a bit because the consumer has very high expectations and they don't like paying for shipping. So obviously, the the other the other kind of players are obviously you know it's a challenge to them because you've got to obviously evolve. You know, there's only so there's only so such a point we can get to a, a low level where something starts to be affected, whether that's customer service or whether that's you know. ETAs, the, the delivery. So it's, I think we're still seeing sort of movement in the market that's going to obviously make changes in the coming uh, months for sure. And how about
0: your business in terms of categories? You started very much fashion orientated in Australia. and Australia, that's 26% of the e-commerce revenue. Uh, personal care is also around 26% as well. But yeah. how is is, is the, the category mix for you so far in Asia?
1: It's a really interesting point because we've seen quite similar trends you know we've been quite focused on fashion it's again it's a high item that's highly consumed and bought regularly online beauty and fashion uh, sorry beauty and cosmetics is also another big one like you mentioned but you're also because of covid you're seeing a lot of new categories popping up you know the likes of pet food and um, is a big pet category is a big one that's been growing um i think you know, there's also obviously, you know, there's obviously, of course the food and beverage because of whatever, because of COVID not be able to access that. But I think that one comes with new challenges because of obviously speed of delivery and, and certain high, um, health and safety requirements. Yeah. But I think you know, shoes is another another big one. So of our you know clients recently have obviously we're starting to talk to more and more shoe companies. Militia Shoes is one of them. Um, so so I think there's you know there there are definitely trends, and that's really just in light of just what people buy online. You know you. You you only buy a sofa once every perhaps five years, but you buy clothes regularly. And and cosmetics is always that one that you ladies actually bought a lot in lockdown last year. I think just because they wanted to feel good, because they were stuck at home, and just you know, purchasing behavior made them feel good. So I think you know, sort of those trends are kind of very similar to to similar markets. But the only other thing I'd probably say is you, if you couldn't get it here, you obviously are accustomed to buying more online obviously to get those products from overseas. And certainly Singapore, we saw about a 23% increase last year in consumers that had never bought online before that suddenly started buying because they just couldn't get that product um, because of lockdown or because it wasn't it here in this, in this country, so um, yeah.
0: So Mark, uh, what sort of uh, uh, turnover are you doing overall in, and specifically in Asia?
1: So I can't really. Obviously, we're a private private company, uh, and obviously with investors, I can't talk financials, but I can kind really of give you some indication on kind of some of our numbers. Okay. Um, so we're doing over twenty thousand um, volume a month here in, in Asia, and that's only that's in basically less than twelve months of operating. Um, you know, it, we're actually getting to that point where, interestingly, two or three days a week, we're doing over a thousand, one and a half thousand parcels a day. You know, we're getting close to that three hundred merchant baseline um here in the, in the market and we haven't to be really honest with you we've been very focused on singapore we've done a bit of work in malaysia but we're kind of putting a lot of emphasis now on on malaysia um, as a company you know we after our funding in december last year as part with tiger global we're obviously investing heavily in this region so investing in our staff and so our that's
0: country, the 30 i think you raised the 30 million australian dollar series b rock
1: that's correct yes we did yeah so uh That's enabled us to invest in certain areas to obviously give us that growth. So one of the things we invested in is obviously Southeast Asia, but part of that investment has also been going into our capabilities within the organization. So we invested very heavily in our data capabilities. You know, we use Snowflake as our data lake, and then we use Looker as our data BI tool. And really having all of that data, I know data is a topic that people discuss all the time, but it really gives us the edge because we can actually really start to give merchants the insights they need to make the right business decisions. And that's really helped. It's it's opened up a lot of interest in Asia because a lot of companies we talk to just haven't got a good grip on what they're spending on their logistics in multiple channels. So I spoke to a large cosmetics company and they use marketplaces, but they don't have a good understanding with the data coming back of what they're actually spending, you know, on their, on their marketplaces. And so that is actually really important to enable us to, obviously help those customers, um, you know, start to drive down costs. But first of all, at least understand what they're spending and understand how they can kind of, you know, drive the, the right outcomes for their business and, in terms of cost reduction, but also efficiency. Um, so yeah, um, I'm not sure I answered the full question, but I gave you a few indicators um, of where we're heading in, in the business. Um, we've also invested a lot in staffing as well. We're, we're just about to hire Nick, we'll have a, a new network operations manager starting next week, who will be very focused on kind of those partnerships with our couriers that are very important to our business. Um, we'll continue to invest in kind of customer success and account management to help our existing customer base. Um, and we have quite a large sales team um, as well. And we leverage off our head office, obviously um, engineers and technology to continue to develop, develop our products for this market. So final question,
0: what's the strategy in terms of geographical strategy in Southeast Asia? Because you're only in, as you said, Malaysia, uh, Singapore primarily, and then a, a limited uh, way in Malaysia, uh, what's next after this?
1: We do actually have some limited, we do have limited operations in Thailand actually for Sephora. So we are in that market, but we're very much actively looking at, you know, key markets like um, Indonesia and the Philippines, you know, they Come with obviously new challenges. You know, language is is one of them. You know, more so in Indonesia than, than the Philippines, where the majority of people speak English. But we're kind of evaluating obviously the the, the landscape, the go-to-market approach. A um, little bit challenging with COVID because you can't just fly in and have some good meetings and talk to people and kind of you know get more understanding of that market. But we're doing kind of our due diligence to understand like what's required, who is operating that, that market. What, what is kind of required and where the gaps are and where we think our, our business model will fit accordingly. And that's also looking at partnerships potentially and looking at kind of other avenues. Uh, I think it's, um, I mean, when we, you know, when we invest in a new market, we take a kind of quite a strategic approach to kind of make sure we do it properly. And, and you know, there have been past scenarios of companies that have tried to expand really fast and really quickly and have spent a lot of money and just haven't, understood the market properly. And I think that's really important because every market as we've talked about this morning, you know, Australia is very different to, to Asia. And I think you, you know, the longer we spend here, the more we test our products and services, the more we actually understand what the merchants require and what the consumers are looking for as well. So it's, it's sort of that B2B 4C ultimately to, to really understand that you've kind of positioned yourself in the right um, area for, for, um, for the market. Now, Mark, thank you very much.
0: It's been a fascinating discussion.
1: It's really great to meet you. Thanks. Uh, and no crazy questions as well. So thank you.
0: <laughs> We've been speaking to Mark Lancaster, the Southeast Asia Business Development Lead at Shipit on BizTech's technology show. I'm Brian Fernandez. This video will be on our Facebook and LinkedIn sites, as well as our website, www.biztech.asia. Please like and subscribe to our various platforms. Thank you very much for tuning in.